Hi, I'm Kat Adams, and I'm thrilled to be sitting in for Alliance for American Manufacturing President Scott Paul on the Manufacturing Report. Today, we're sharing a bit of the backstory behind one of our favorite companies featured in the 2022 Made in America Holiday Gift Guide. When Sunny Day Design's owner and designer Shelly Schmidt decided to merge her background in fashion and entrepreneurship to launch her own business, keeping all of her production in the United States was a fundamental part of her plan. Shelly's family once owned a hat factory in Missouri, and she had seen some of the uglier truths of offshoring in her earlier design career. So she knew that manufacturing jobs could make a real difference in supporting communities. Today, Shelly chats with me about the experiences that informed the creation of Sunny Day Designs and why keeping her products made in America gives her such pride. That's next on the Manufacturing Report. Shelly, thank you so much for joining us on the Manufacturing Report today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Now, Shelly, you have, I think, quite an interesting story in terms of how you started Sunny Day Designs. You had a career within the design industry, and it was a stable job. You've been doing it for several years, and then you decided to start something entirely on your own. So can you talk yes. us through that decision? It's it's kind of a, a scary limb to climb onto. It was a little bit scary uh, because leaving steady employment and everything and, and starting out on your own is a little bit nerve wracking. I had a couple of reasons why I kind of decided to take the leap. One was my husband's work schedule was just so different from my own that I felt like we weren't really seeing each other. But I had also kind of slowly been preparing myself for years and years to hopefully one day start my own company. And the stars sort of aligned and I felt like it was a great time to sort of jump in and, and see if it would work out. Knowing that if it didn't, then I could always go back to another job at another company, but it's been growing ever since. And I've, I've just really loved the experience and I'm glad that I took the leap that I did. <laughs> my background has also sort of unexpectedly prepared me, I think, for starting my own business, especially in the fashion and textile industries. I ended up getting my degrees in apparel design and apparel merchandising. And then after graduating from college, I decided to go get my MBA. And while I was there, I was not sure at first if I wanted to do a marketing concentration or an entrepreneurship concentration. And one of my teachers actually really encouraged me because of a project that I did to think more seriously about entrepreneurship. And so I ended up doing a lot more courses in entrepreneurship and really loved it, gave a lot of presentations and did a lot of projects on different companies. And that was great. And so when I finally started working within the fashion industry, I knew that eventually I was hoping to one day start my own company as well. And I was hoping that I would be able to merge the two industries together. And I did, uh, since what I do right now is I, I'm a textile designer by training and um, also a product developer in the apparel and textile industries. And so I was able to kind of merge those two things together in order to make my own small batch products that feature my artwork. And also they all have made in America materials. And I am always trying to keep everything as local or American made as possible. So I love that. I feel like my background, even working in different jobs, I worked in doing textile design. I worked in product development. I was able to work in merchandising. And even when I interned places during school, I was able to work for some fair trade companies, some local designers, even one designer, Maria Pinto in Chicago, who did everything, all of her production in-house, which was a really cool experience to see as an intern. So unexpectedly, just having all these different experiences that I didn't realize were going to one day come together, I felt like eventually they, they've sort of prepared me in an unexpected way 
to, um, you know, run my own business, kind of wear a lot of hats, but in a way that makes me feel a little bit more comfortable since I've been exposed to those different areas in the past. Yeah, that's a perfect kismet. It sounds like everything lining up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Can you talk to me a little bit more about the ethos behind your decision to keep manufacturing in the U.S.? Because I know your, your website speaks so much to that. You know, you have a commitment to small batch manufacturing. It's very different than how a lot of people are doing it. So what was the reasoning behind that? Sure. Um, so made in America and even keeping things small batch has, has been really important to me from the get-go. Part of that is because my parents actually used to run a hat factory in a small town in Missouri. And so I was fortunate enough to kind of grow up with this very cool behind the scenes experience of going to the factory on weekends and watching everybody, you know, running the machines or during the week, sometimes we would go also and just kind of seeing all of the the buzz and the excitement of things being made here in America and the pride that people had when they made them, watching my parents kind of work on talking about companies or sourcing products or things like that. So I love that experience. And I just love the idea that I knew that it would create jobs, which aside from giving a warm, fuzzy feeling which, that I think is great, I also think it's wonderful to think about your local community, which has always been important to me, even though I've lived in several different places. I love knowing that running a business and having production can be something that really benefits your own local community instead of just thinking about overseas production and trying to get something for the cheapest price. Because of course you want to get things made for you know an inexpensive price, but I think it's better to know that people who are making them are being well cared for, they're having a great steady job, they're able to accomplish what they want to do and and help their own families and live a great life. And I think that's something that's always been really central to my idea of wanting to keep things made in America. I also had some experiences working at some fashion companies and textile companies that did a lot of sourcing overseas. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, a lot of companies do that, but there were some very um, questionable things that happened that unfortunately I witnessed. And it's terrifying when you see how the cost of a product that's being sourced sometimes, and you think about how it can possibly be that low. And it makes you wonder, you know, especially with all the things that have been going on in Bangladesh with the apparel industry, there's been a lot of issues in China over the years. It's not that all of those factories are doing bad things or have unfair labor practices, but every once in a while, when you see something that really flags your attention, it kind of makes you stop and question what you're doing. And I think over time, just kind of being exposed to a lot of things that made me think about sourcing chains and, you know, even from an ecological impact with dyes and fabrics and all of that, there's just so much to think about. And I I knew that if I wanted to start my own company, that I wanted to make sure I was thinking about the people who are making my items, how I was sourcing them, and also the environment and how I could find these materials in a way that was more eco-friendly or sustainable and kind of in a way help not just the customer get something that they love, but also know that the people who are behind my company are also being celebrated and well taken care of. And I just wanted it to be a more inclusive experience. I think that's one of the things that has given me a lot of hope in in the recent years is that there's been such a push for transparency and right, being yes. aware of 
where products are coming from, sourcing matters now, I think more than it did, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And I think it will continue to, to be important and even yes. more so, hopefully. I'm wondering, can you give us an idea of the scope of what your sourcing is like? So what companies are you working with or where, what regions are you receiving your product from? So I've expanded my product line over the years. I've been around for, I believe, six years now. And I have had a couple of different companies and suppliers change. All my fabrics are printed in the U.S. And those come from North and South Carolina area. I've got magnets and stickers that come from New York. Those are printed there. Greeting cards come from Rhode Island. So I do all the design work in-house. And then with the designs that are printed on fabrics or paper or magnets or stickers, those all get manufactured for me by other companies which I think is great because that way they're able to do what they know best. And I'm able to support those factories and the employees there in order to offer people more products. Now I do have several items that are either small batch manufactured here at my studio in Madison, Wisconsin. And then I do have a very interesting setup right now with my seamstresses, which was kind of a happy accident how it's worked out so far mostly because we moved during the pandemic from Atlanta, Georgia, up to Madison, Wisconsin. So I still haven't figured out my sourcing for my sewing completely, but for now I have a great way uh, that's kind of working where I am actually employing seamstresses in other areas of the country in addition to Madison, and they're able to work part-time from home because I realized during the pandemic that it was hard to find people who wanted to come to one location and all work together and it was hard to find people in Madison since there was just a smaller group of people to pull from with those sewing skills compared to Atlanta. So for now, it's been great because I've been able to employ a lot of, especially women who want to work part-time and make some extra money. They have great sewing skills. Many of them have had university education or degrees with apparel design or things, textiles. So they're very much in the industry and they have a lot of experience, but it's been sort of a flexible way that I can employ them to do the sewing for me. And I'm not sure if that'll be a long-term solution, but at least for now, it's something that's been working and kind of a creative way to pivot during the pandemic. Perhaps I'll be able to finally get my own location where I can have people working full-time soon since the pandemic seems to be, hopefully, fingers crossed, kind of, you know, <laughs> ramping down a little bit, but yeah. Oh, that's exciting. I love that. I, I wonder if, you know, because your parents had a hat factory, could you talk to me about what happened there? And if that's something that you think about in terms of the trajectory of the hat factory and in how you form your own company? It's definitely been something that's been on my mind, especially when I think about sewing and, and how I might be able to employ people. With their hat factory, it was based in Aurora, Missouri. It was called Mad Hatters Inc., which I always thought was a cute name. and my mom was one of the co-owners of the factory and they employed, I believe it was around 20 or 30 people who worked in the factory itself, sewing in person. They did embroidery work too on caps and visors and winter hats, all kinds of different products. And what ended up happening with that was they opened it maybe four or five years before the NAFTA agreement came out. And that made it very challenging for American manufacturing, especially in, in the cap industry. I remember talking to my parents one time and they said that they were trying to, to work with a supplier. I believe it was Bass Pro Shops who they were working with for a while. 
And then they eventually told them that they were able to get a hat made overseas, fully embroidered and imported for the same amount of money that it would cost my parents to make that hat at the factory with the labor and with the materials and everything. And so it was a challenge for them. Um, They ended up pivoting a little bit themselves. You know, they did a lot of smaller orders. They found several other customers, but it was a really challenging time. I'd say the 90s, especially for American manufacturing. And they ran the business for about 10 years before eventually they sold it to some of their employees who continued it. But it was an eye-opening experience. And I think just growing up and and visiting the factory and, and being around everything was exciting to me. But knowing that it didn't really end up working out how they were hoping it would is definitely something that I think about. And it's in the back of my mind because I want to make sure that if I, for instance, I thought about maybe opening a location where I could have multiple people sewing for me as a full-time job, but it's definitely something to think about with what happened at my parents' company in mind. Just, I don't want to say as a cautionary tale because I think it's definitely doable, but I think it's also worth thinking about flexible options or other being creative about it, or maybe outsourcing the work to a factory here in the U.S. that can sew all of it. So I'm sort of in that in that stage right now where I'm small and expanding and I'm in kind of the messy part where I'm trying to figure out all the details of how to grow without overextending myself or doing all of that. And I think when you're trying to keep everything as made in the USA as you can, it's a challenge and it's a it's a good challenge because I think it's more rewarding in the end when you do figure out a solution. But it's definitely something that I think takes a lot more thought and work to figure out than just importing. I know that if importing is definitely an easier way to go about product development, but I personally feel like it's more rewarding and in the end makes a better product, I think, to keep everything here in the USA. Yeah, the jobs that that came from your your mother's hat factory, the fact that that's something that you think about shows the value of them, right? And and how much it means to the community when they come and when they leave. I guess that brings us to kind of today and thinking about the conditions for made in America companies um, and the retail landscape. Do you feel like it's changed? Do you feel like there's hope and that it's a, a fruitful environment for small made in America businesses? I definitely think that the the awareness of consumers, especially, I, I think it started before the pandemic, but during the pandemic, I think that there was a real sense of people wanting to support small businesses, thinking about the supply chain and how how hairy everything got, (laughs) you know, with things coming, especially from overseas and not being able to be brought over in time for people to use them here. I think that people started appreciating the fact that some things were still made in America. And then I think they also started questioning why isn't more stuff made here anymore? And I think it, it got people thinking about the fact that a lot of things have been outsourced in the last couple of decades, especially And the fact that there's whole industries that used to be dominated by American manufacturing that are no longer, they don't exist anymore. You know, all of the machinery has been sent overseas. They can't even produce things here if they wanted to, if they don't have that machinery. So I think it's really brought an awareness and an appreciation for made in America items to consumers because they realized, oh, I'm able to get this product here, you know, because this company sources in the USA or they make everything here. I think, especially with shops that I do a lot of wholesale sales too, 
And they were really excited when they could get some product on their shelves because last year especially was a huge challenge for people just to find things that they could put in their stores because there were so many orders that had been canceled that were sourced overseas. You know, there were a lot of things that people were just just desperate to have something in their stores for people to shop for, especially during the holidays. So I do think that people got a taste of that and it's more on their mind than it used to be, which is great. However, I do think that with the inflation that's been going on lately, it has been an extra challenge just because consumers have less money to spend. I had to raise my own prices for the first time in five years, I think. Um, So everybody's kind of adapting and changing and we'll see how things go. But I'm optimistic because I think people are really starting to get behind Made in America products more than they have in the past. And you know, the shop local movement, the shop small movement, there's a lot of things that people are kind of rallying behind. And I'm, I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah, well, we're obviously thrilled (laughs) to hear that and hope to see that movement grow as well. Um, Concluding on a very happy note and uh, a shopping focus (laughs) note, which I always like, um, could you tell us, I'm curious, you have so many great products and your prints are just really whimsical and happy. And I imagine it'll be hard to choose, but do you have a favorite product or a favorite print that has a spot close to your heart? What comes to mind? I can think of three, I'd say. So one of the ones that I really love is one of the very first prints that I actually came out with for my line. It's called Bountiful Bubbles, and it's a very simple print. It's mostly turquoise with white scribbled circles. It seems very simple, but it's one of those prints that is kind of appealing to everyone. And I think the color really stands out. But I think the main reason that I love it so much is that when I worked at previous corporate companies doing fashion design and and prints and things, it was just so different than what I was allowed to work on. You know, I worked on a lot of paisleys and complicated plaids and things like that, which are still great. But I've always sort of had this very playful, joyful, colorful aesthetic for designing. And so For me, it felt kind of like the first time I was able to really design my own artwork for myself in the way that I wanted to make it. And my focus with my product line and my prints is really just to design things that make people smile and things that are cheerful, that'll brighten up their day. And I really feel like that print, even though it's simple, is just a very bold, crowd-pleasing kind of design. And then one of the other ones that I love is, it's called Cultivate Love. I believe I designed it last year. And it has a bunch of plants on it that all have different heart-shaped leaves. Um, I think I really like that one because it's it's more complicated than it seems with the heart shapes. You know, mostly you look at it and it just looks like plants on a print. But I also think I like it because I definitely don't have a green thumb. And so (laughs) it kind of it kind of makes me feel like um, I'm getting my dose of plants when I look at it, you know, because everything else that I have in my <laughs> in my home is dead <laughs> or almost dead. So, um, yeah, it's definitely it definitely makes me happy because it makes me feel like maybe I could grow my own plants and not kill them. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good reason. <laughs> and then the third one that I really like, it's called Skin Equality. And I came out with that one in 2020 when you know, so much was happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and just all kinds of things. And I wanted to create something that was simple and eye-catching and also that donated money to an organization. And so I came out with this print. It's made up of equal signs in the print that overlap and 
there are different skin tone shades. So when you look at it, it doesn't really seem like anything complicated or complex. But when you really think about the symbolism, I kind of like to think of them as equality signs that are overlapping in solidarity with each other. And so that print is one of my favorites because I like knowing that it, it raises money for charity. It's great. It's, it's a wonderful nonprofit in Atlanta. It's the National Coalition of 100 Black Women, their chapter there in Atlanta. And they do some great things for young women who are in high school, leadership and training skills and support and all kinds of things. So I just really like being able to have a design that also gives back to the community I used to live in. Wow. I love the insight into your design process too. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Are you usually, I mean, it sounds like you have quite the gambit of personal and political or social reasons for your designs. How often do you develop a new one? I usually launch designs about three to four times a year. And I do that because I do a lot of wholesale. So it goes with the sales cycles of buying, but yeah, it comes out during different seasons pretty much. Do you have a favorite for the holiday season since we're in the holiday season right now? Mm -hmm. I do really like the candy cane print that I've had for a while, candy cane lane, but my newest favorite is I'm not Jewish, but I came out with a Hanukkah print lately and I've gotten a lot of great feedback about it. Mostly, I think it's a hole in the market that a lot of people haven't really been exploring making as much Jewish uh, decor. And so it's kind of a fun print. I haven't seen a lot of Hanukkah themed you know, tea towels or other items like that around. So hopefully it makes some people happy when they're celebrating Hanukkah this year. Well, I'm sure it will. Shelly, thank you so much for joining us on the Manufacturing Report. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. That'll do it for the Manufacturing Report this week. You can shop Sunny Day Designs online at sunnydayco.com and follow the company on Instagram at sunnydaydesignco. If you're looking for even more great Made in America gift ideas, be sure to check out our 2022 Made in America Holiday Gift Guide at americanmanufacturing.org. And of course, be sure to subscribe to the Manufacturing Report wherever you find your podcasts. And let us know what you think by leaving a review and a rating. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram or connect with us on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA. Until next time, together we can keep it made in America.